Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again as we continue through the Gospel of Luke into the 17th chapter today. Um, and I'm not sure what you would, I, I don't know how you'd, my, my Bible calls this some sayings of Jesus, Michael, and I, I don't know how you'd label right. this anything else. This is kind of a catch-all. Um, Luke has this way of taking things that in other Gospels are comprised in sections or maybe have some intro and explanation above and, and below them. And it it this is a section that feels like Luke just had a bunch of that stuff and said, well, no. I need to get it in there. And so he kind of mashed it together. So we're a little bit all over the place. I'll just warn you as we go into it. But let's start here. Verse 1, chapter 17. Jesus said to the disciples, occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble, be on guard. Uh, let's stop there, Michael. Just here's a great example. In the other Gospels, this is a thing Jesus says after he has had a moment with children. He said, "Blessed are those who receive the kingdom. If you can't receive the kingdom like children, you can't be in it." And then he says, "Woe to those who would harm a little one." Here, it just hangs on its own. He says, "One of these little ones, we don't even know." who one of the little ones is. Luke has just taken that that thing that Jesus has said, and he's listed it here. However, the point remains a warning against those who would lead others astray, a warning against those who would hurt other people. And this is a theme that's going to run through a, a few of these early verses, the connection to others. That is maybe a thing that we shouldn't take for granted. I, not everyone knows that different gospel writers do utilize Jesus's teachings in different contexts, and therefore they provide a different light or perspective or lens, depending on what metaphor you want to use. It, it gives us a different way of seeing what Jesus meant by that teaching. And I think that this is a really interesting example of that, Clint, because in the other gospels, you might read this section to be evidence of Jesus talking about children, that being a reflection of their age, relative lack of importance in society. Remember that in our study yesterday, when we had the whole story of Abraham, and we, we have this idea of the rich person set against the poor person, Lazarus, that puts this teaching in real conjunction with the idea of the little one. We might get a sense there of the little one is the person who is left behind, the person without privilege or power, the person like Lazarus, who's been passed over in life by those who have means and ability. Not suggesting that that's a reinterpretation of what Jesus' teaching was, but just to say, oftentimes the gospel writers do this. They'll give us a, a saying or teaching of Jesus. They'll put it in a different context than the other gospel writers. And it does help us to see that there's a variety of lights that can be cast upon it. And I actually don't think that's competitive. I don't want to go too long on this, but remember that Jesus taught all throughout Galilee. He taught all over and he taught numerous times. And so the idea that he would only use a lesson one time or that it would only have one context or that, it, it, that seems to me rather reductive. I think the more fair assumption is not only do the gospel writers want to portray Jesus within 
a, a compelling story for the people that's being written. But I do think there's also a richness and diversity in Jesus's teachings themselves that they're drawing from. Jesus taught these things in many ways to many people, and the gospel writers are helping to catch some of the different senses of what he meant, what he taught. Yeah, it it may be overanalyzing, but it does feel like it, when you get to a gospel like Luke, Luke excels at the storytelling parts where Jesus is really digging into a parable. Like we've just seen the, the parable of the prodigal son, even as strange as it is, the parable of the dishonest manager that we talked about. Uh, Luke is really good at layering things. He's really good at telling stories and dealing with narratives. And then it is if he also has these moments where he wants to include things Jesus said, but they don't have for him a narrative context. So he just kind of says, well, this time Jesus talked to his disciples and he said this and this and this and this. And, and those things come across much more blunt, much more direct, much less flowery or layered. Um, they are in some ways challenging at times. And it, it's surprising how often Luke can just in one or two verses uh, as opposed to many verses of story, how with just one or two verses can lay something out that's incredibly challenging. And I, th- I think that's what we're experiencing here as we continue on. So then verse three, be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender. And if there's repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. So, again, just a short passage here, but a deeply challenging one. (laughs) The, The nature of the responsibility of forgiveness for a disciple. Now, we have to balance this. Jesus is not saying hang in there with people who abuse you or take advantage of you or those kind of things. But... What, what Luke is giving us here is a very disturbing look at the depth of grace that Jesus expects in the life of a, of a disciple, of a follower. If it happens seven times in a day and that person repents, you clean the slate. You start over with them. You must forgive. This is a This is a deeply challenging word, I think, for most of us. So, Clint, I actually think that the way that we protect ourselves from a text like this is we often choose to take a a section like this and make it overly literal. In other words, I think one of our temptations is to say, well, uh, I, I don't want to forgive, or forgiving is hard, and clearly Jesus doesn't mean that I'm supposed to forgive you know, every infraction, no matter how big, when these people are taking advantage of me or when it is this horrible relationship and we give ourselves an off-ramp. I, I think what is being very clearly taught here is that in the face of true re- repentance, which means to actually turn, to actually desire reconciliation, we're not talking about someone who is seeking their own ends, a person who's holding a person captive emotionally or physically. Yes, there are extremes that this is not intended to include, but we take it so literally as to say, well, because it obviously doesn't mean that, it, it doesn't apply to me. And the truth is, 
forgiveness is ridiculously hard. In fact, we recorded a few conversations about the spiritual discipline of forgiveness, about choosing forgiveness even in the face of the infraction, even in the face of the challenge within our own souls. It is an unbelievably tenuous and difficult journey to wake up and decide forgiveness will be my spiritual discipline and choice today. And, uh, you know, Jesus in a saying like this makes it absolutely clear that that is a core and essential part of the Christian faith. And make no mistake about it, as we're going to move on in just a second, the disciples respond, increase our faith. I mean, Clint, that's not entirely accidental. I mean, Luke knows the force of words like that. Yeah. So, I mean, jump in there. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And I think your your point, Michael, and what's telling is that faced with the challenge to forgive somebody multiple times, um, to forgive somebody continually as they repent, the disciples seem to be met with their own inability, and they say, increase our faith. In other words, how, how could we do that? How is that possible? Increase our faith. And and here again, Jesus, in just a couple verses, takes what is a parable in other Gospels, what gets uh, more attention in Matthew, mm-hmm. and, and Jesus says, well, if you had faith... <laughs> Even to a small degree, you could do large things. And so uh, rather than comforting the disciples, Jesus just further challenges them. And that's kind of the theme of this section as we move toward a, a not easy conclusion. Um, but we, I think that's what we see in part here, Michael. Yeah, and I don't want to beat this into the ground at all, Clint, but I do want to I, – I, I feel compelled to point it out, this out as we encounter texts like this. It This – type of teaching is used and was, when I was a child, used to exemplify the idea that the Christian life is about gaining more faith. If you could just get more faith, get your hand around more faith, and you're going to be able to do bigger things, right? That idea, if you have the faith, you can speak to the thing and the thing will happen. And then the teaching or the lesson from that kind of reading of this text is that you can do bigger, better, you can be richer and stronger. And what's fascinating is, and and to your point, this is connected Mm -hmm. to the idea of forgiving. Don't let that go, that the act of forgiving is the preceding lesson to the act of exercising faith. And that, that's not accidental. That's really important that you keep in mind that, in other words, this isn't about worldly wealth, power, and privilege, but this is about the idea that there are some spiritual tasks that are beyond our ability to do ourselves. And in those moments, forgive, we have to reach out down deep and the prayer of our heart is, God, give me faith. God, help me. God, meet me where I can't go. Because anybody who's lived in those hard places knows that we meet the end of ourselves and that's where we discover that Jesus Christ has already been there and is carrying us forward. It's not a compliment to the history of Christians that we have often taken a verse which is given as the answer, how can I find the faith to forgive someone repeatedly? How can I find the faith to be gracious? How how can I find the faith over and over again to give someone forgiveness and mercy as I've received 
and, and we've turned that into a, how can I get what I want in life or mm-hmm. that getting what I want in life should be some kind of reward for my faith or that faith would be a pathway to to success and wealth. And um, Luke helps us here by keeping this context together. The, the quest for faith in the disciples' question is the quest to live the kind of life that Jesus calls them to, a life of forgiveness, a life of constant um, grace, and th- they know within themselves that that's going to take supernatural help, as do I think we all when we're confronted with it. As we move to the conclusion here, um, these are tough verses. Uh, Part of that is the context. Part of that's the culture. Uh, These are just out of step with with our current world. So let me read them, and we'll try to clear them up a little bit. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep— in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you rather not say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink? Later, you can eat and drink. Do you think? Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We've done only what we ought to have done. I wonder, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if Luke gives us more troubling language than I initially suspected, Michael. Mm. <laughs> um, th- this idea that Luke ends with the, with the thought that we should evaluate ourselves as worthless slaves gets in the way. And, and this seems like such a harsh passage, right? The slave comes in. You're not going to serve the slave. The slave is going to serve you. Right. You are the master. And... Mm-hmm. It, it's a hard way for us to get there. But the idea is clearly here, God is the master. We are the servants. Servants don't get thanked for doing what you're supposed to do. That's your job. That's your task. So don't pat yourself on the back. Move yourself forward by being conscious of what you still need to do and what you lack and where you fall short. Um, it, it, this is, this is, um, a very sharp way to get to that point, Michael. This is just one of those texts that feels like being thumped a little bit. Yeah, because. Let's be honest, I don't think any one of us relishes the theme of servanthood, Clint, and I I agree with you that there are cultural barriers between us and a text like this. Certainly, we need to be very careful in light of our historical and even modern global context to be talking about slavery in any form of a positive light. But we have to remember that in the first century that the experience of slavery was very different than what we know, and and that needs to be teased out, and that's worthy of another conversation. But Jesus does talk about the process of faith as submitting to the master, of of being those who find in the leastness an invitation to the greatness. That's the inversion of the kingdom of God that's happening here. And I'm not going to even attempt to dispel some of the difficult aspects of a text like this. I'm not going to try, you know, put uh, a candy coating over it. But it's worth noting that there is a kind of teaching here that calls 
the Pharisees, the, the, the leaders, the people who are lifted up, and calls them to the act that ultimately they're called to, which is the one of putting themselves in position of the one with the job to do and not the one who lords it over others. And and whether or not that dispels the problems of the text, I, I don't think it does, um, and nor should we pursue that. But I do think we're often uncomfortable. My point is, Clint, we're often uncomfortable with the idea that the faith demands something of us. And texts like this make it clear that Jesus' teaching includes things that he expects the faith to demand, and that that's a fair demand, that, that, that that's a job that should be expected of people who follow in his kingdom. And that discomfort should land on us sometimes. And, and we should just know something is expected, and that something is often a lowering before it's a, a raising. And I think a text like this has that at its center if we're able to hear it. Yeah, so two things, and I'm trying to figure out which is the right way to go. I think I'll, I'll go this way. My family kind of got this idea, and, and this is no disrespect to families who did other things. Um, I had friends whose parents would compensate them for good grades. If they got an A, they got 10 bucks. If they got a B, they got five bucks. You know, I had other friends who would do household chores and get paid for those. And that seemed like a great arrangement to me. So as a kid, I went back to mom, grandma and said, Hey, let's let's talk about my grades. I'll let's, get better grades. Let's make a deal. You 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 pay me, or it's my job to mow the yard and shovel the driveway. L- let's talk what that's worth. And the response was, "Why would we pay you for something you're supposed to do anyway?" Right. And so, th- my family would have been all on this idea, right? That right. no, you're not. You're doing what you're expected to do. You don't get extra credit for what's expected of you. Now, having said that, I think it helps to remember that this is what we're listening in on is a an in-the-family discussion. Verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, and then he says, if another disciple sins against you, and then at the end, this business, very strong language to them, this is Jesus and the inner circle having a what we kind of call come to Jesus meeting, and Jesus is speaking bluntly to them about what it means that they are in their role. Now, having said that, we come later and listen into this, and there's a word in it for us as well. But I, I do think it helps to remember that this isn't Jesus preaching from a mountaintop to everybody. This is Jesus saying very hard things to those he trusts to be able to hear it. Yeah, and I think we're comforted by the image of the Savior who goes to make a room for us, uh, goes to make a place for us. I think it's more challenging the image of the master who has expectations of how we're faithful in the field where we've been planted, that we do what we've been called to do. And there are other parables that track that theme, by the way, the parable of the vineyard where you have the vineyard workers, some who work all day and some who come at the end of the day and the graciousness of the owner of the vineyard who pays them. Um, that's a very challenging par- parable. It's the, the core message of it is some people are going to work harder and their reward is not going to be higher or uh, greater than anyone else. And I think here this idea that 
that we are called to be those who serve and that we're called of those who put on the mantle of servanthood um, is a very, very important theme. And I would say maybe an important antidote in our current cultural moment in America, certainly, where there's this mm. idea of I'm going to take for myself, might makes right, the the stronger and sharper the rhetoric, the the better it is. And I, I think that that cuts exactly against the kind of humility, lowering servanthood, uh, being able to rest under the master as we see Jesus teaching here. And even if it's a difficult lesson, that shouldn't get in the way of us hearing it. I think we should sit with it a little bit because it has something to teach us. Yeah, I, I think it's a very challenging passage. You know, forgive as often as need be. Well, how do we do that? Well, with a little faith. And don't pat yourself on the back when you do it because that's what it means to follow Jesus. So uh, a blunt challenge today for all of us. Thanks for being with us for that blunt challenge. We would love for you to join us, of course, as we continue the study tomorrow. Be blessed until that time. Give the video a like to help others find this uh, difficult teaching, and it may help them in their own study. Subscribe to stick with us along this study and the studies that go with it. Uh, until tomorrow, be blessed. Thanks, everybody.